It may look like an ordinary podcast, but this one's bigger on the inside, and it can travel anywhere in time and space. your sonic screwdrivers and your jelly babies. Grab your hats, scarves, and tighten your bow ties. You're the companion now, so get ready to run with your hosts, Jason Hunt and Paul Gann. This is Talking Time Lords. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another fantastic episode of Talking Time Lords. This is episode number 87, Desolation. Ooh. I'm, as always, one of your hosts, Jason Hunt, and with me, my podcasting companion through time and space, we have Paul Gann. What a desolate place this is. Oh, it is. And there's our Star Wars reference yeah, already. Let's go ahead and knock that out and get it out of the way. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> How's it going, Paul? Uh, it has been uh, boring and aggravating this week. <laughs> Waiting for the new episode? No, at work. <laughs> oh, okay. Gotcha. Yes, this, this has been the highlight of my week, actually. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good, I think. <laughs> or some people would say that it's rather pathetic and I have nothing else better to do with my life. So, yeah. <laughs> I prefer to look at the positive. And I'm positive that we actually got the opening titles yes. here this episode. Um, so before we jump into our spoiler-free reaction of the episode and the discussion of The Ghost Monument, which is episode two of series 11 of Doctor Who, Paul, let's, let's real quick uh, talk about the, the new opening title. First of all, everybody, we're, we're going to go ahead and listen to it real quick, and then we will dive into the discussion of that. So, on the count of three, one, two, three. we go what do you think paul i think it's a little shorter than i expected it to be <laughs> but like we said before that kind of goes back a little bit more towards the classic series mm -hmm. a little bit especially early on in the classic series because like the first episode for the show ever had a very short opener yeah yeah I think it's i think it's shorter than i would like for it to be actually to be perfectly honest about <laughs> it because i really i kind of got into it well it's cool <laughs> i like it it's it is a little short uh but it is that that is in keeping with uh some of how it it used to be back in some of the classic mm -hmm. era days as is the the fact that they had it right at the beginning right before anything else so they they started with the main title 
Right. I think this might be the first time that's happened in modern in the modern Doctor Who era. I'm trying to remember back to um, Christopher Eccleston's run, if they did it at the beginning or if they did it after like the, the quick intro portion or not. Now I'm going to have to go back and check. <laughs> I know, me too. Um, but that being said... Uh, Why do I feel like we didn't do our research on this part? Because <laughs> uh, we didn't know we were going to say that thing specifically. Um <laughs> that being said, I really like it. Sigun Akinola is, of course, the new composer, and I think he did a fantastic job. I think it sounds really good. I actually like the opening title better than I like the closing title, which isn't necessarily surprising. But also, visually, I find it really fascinating. <laughs> yes. So it's it's sort of like a, a combination oh. of underwater and like nebula starscape, and it's really, really fascinating. I love it. Honestly, though, visually, it reminds me, as far as the 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 motion and everything of the the swirls and stuff, especially at the very beginning, reminds me of the third Doctor's intro. Okay, where you have the the swirling that comes out of the middle and and it starts to change colors. Now it very quickly updates to something that is completely new. Right, but. The it just it, it has that tone to it, if you get what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, because especially in the classic series, you you had those tricks of the camera and everything that they were using to kind of give it that kaleidoscope type effect mm-hmm. at the beginning because they hadn't at that point decided to um, go with the, the time vortex at the beginning like they did with the fourth doctor's run. And so you really you you kind of get that vibe at the beginning of it that it's kind of going with the classic you know, kind of swirls and stuff at the beginning. And then before it finishes, it does kind of bring the time vortex into the the imagery and stuff. But it's all brand new and all very liquid and very flowing. And it's really cool. (laughs) Yes. Got the purples and stuff in it. Yeah, I I love it. Oh, it's great. (laughs) I want to go back and watch it again. (laughs) I I know, right? I'm super glad this is what we have for um, opening episodes this season. It makes me happy. Oh, I, I, I almost forgot. I also do like the way that it kind of almost feels like that it's flowing up and back and up and back. And every time that it comes in, it comes in a little closer, almost like you would expect to see the TARDIS materialize. Ah, you see what I'm saying? Clever. So at the, at the beginning of it, you know, it'll, it'll come in from the center and then go back out and then in further and back out and then in further and back out until you finally get to that swirling, you know, mass of color and waves and and everything and then that will then ultimately turn into the time vortex you know and space and everything towards the end of that mm-hmm. i think that's really cool yeah <laughs> it's mesmerizing very much All right, well, let's go ahead and jump into the episode that we are here to discuss, which is the Ghost Monument. It is, of course, uh, the second episode of Series 11 of Doctor Who. It premiered on October 14th, 2018, written by Chris Chibnall and directed by Mark Tonderai. Tonderai? Tonderai? Mine no. Uh, anywho. Mine no. <laughs> and the synopsis is as follows. 
stranded on an alien planet infamously called Desolation. Can the Doctor find her way to the TARDIS as she promised her new friends? Will her newest company be of any help when they're also racing against each other? And what exactly is the Ghost Monument? Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. Paul, quick spoiler-free reaction to the Ghost Monument. I like the tone of the direction that it took in this because it kind of went back to a little bit of the grittiness and a little bit of the the real world feel that we got in some of those quarries back in the classic series. Yeah. It it, it really did feel like that you were filming on location. No studio, no uh, there weren't a lot of artificial props and a lot of artificial structures and stuff outside of the obvious ones, you know? Yeah. And I really liked the fact that we, we really felt like that we were like on an alien planet. We didn't feel like that we were looking at something on a green screen or something. Right. And I really, I, I, I like that scope. I like that, that tone of the real world feel that we got from that, because a lot of the stuff that, especially in more recent years that we've gotten has been the type of thing to where um, when they do go outside, it's a very small scope, especially like in the situation of uh, before the flood. Oh, yeah, yeah. Where, where they, they go outside and you can tell that they're outside, but it feels like a very kind of secluded and cloistered, you know, location where you don't really get a big scope of what's going on and stuff, you know. Gotcha. With this, you can see for miles, you know. Right. You could literally see... Like the dunes going off. I mean, it was it was like watching. Well, it was like watching, uh, like Tatooine or something. You know, in in Star Wars, where you could just see the dunes going over and over and over that kind of mm-hmm. thing. And I really, yeah. I, I love the fact that they're bringing that kind of scope. Yeah. And you know the the fact that we were able to get something that felt so spacious, and still have a kind of tight knit story that felt like it was just including these six people mm-hmm. the, I feel like that that it kind of it, it made it feel even more desolate you see what I did there <laughs> because you've got the small scope of that small band of actors with that huge scope of the, the planet around them it really added another uh, a level of uh, intensity I think to the way that the show portrayed that scenario yeah I thoroughly enjoyed this episode uh, I do agree that the the tone and the scope and the cinematic aspect of this episode was really great. It was something that definitely catches my eye and is something I'm really looking forward to seeing how they continue to use that moving forward this season. I thought the doctor was great. Uh, she really begins to find her element in this episode. And we'll talk more about that as we get into the uh, spoiler discussion. And it, it subtly seems to set up one or two things that might carry on through uh, a good portion of this season and see if people caught them or not, but I definitely will want to talk about them. Yeah, I, I enjoyed it. Um, I thought it was great. I thought the new characters fit in well with the, um, the TARDIS crew uh, <laughs> or the, uh, <laughs> they become the TARDIS crew. Spoilers. Spoilers. Sorry. <laughs> Although I saw images for the new TARDIS interior before this episode aired over here in the States because they hit 
everywhere as soon as it airs in England. So <laughs> Sundays, I'm going to just have to go into internet lockdown until after I see the episode. So you ended up getting spoiled after all. Slightly. I mean, I saw that they were coming out and I was like, no, scroll, scroll, scroll. You know, I didn't get a good look. But uh, that being said, I think we should go ahead and, and jump into the, the spoilerific discussion here. <laughs> Spoilers. All right. So, Paul, um, I've definitely got a couple of things I want to talk about this episode. Of course, folks, we are doing a review, not a recap, so we will be all over the place and probably won't touch everything in this episode. What is one thing you want to start with, Paul? Hmm. You want to just go ahead and knock this out of the park and just say, okay, let's talk about the TARDIS? Sure, we'll start with the TARDIS. We'll start at the end. <laughs> it's a wibbly-wobbly review. Yeah, the TARDIS. She's redecorated. Yes. I think I like it. You do? I do. Uh, I I miss the roundels, but it is, it's really nifty. Uh, it's, it's definitely got a much more organic feel, which I like, but I'm... I'm curious to see how it all works when they're playing around in it, so to speak. You know, when, they, when they're when they not just walking around going, oh, ah, ooh, you know. So I, I'm interested to see how it functions. My favorite part on the inside is the walls. Okay. My least favorite part on the inside is the console area. Okay. And I have a quibble about this. But I'll get into that in a minute. Okay. I love the fact that they've gone back with more of the retro styling on the outside. Yes. I love that. The light on the top is more of the retro feel. That It has the, uh, I don't know if it's black or navy, but it's dark signage on the front. But there's something cool that I noticed that's updated from even the more recent TARDIS stylings that I've seen. Mm -hmm. And that is the fact that the signage on the outside has raised letters. Ah. Like a license plate. Okay. So it's not just, you know, like a painted metal sign or whatever. It is literally embossed with the lettering into the sign, uh, the same way that it would be if it was a license plate or maybe some of these uh, tin signs that you buy that say Coca-Cola on them or something like that. Right. I think that's really cool. That is nifty. I, I, like, I like this a lot. Now, I actually like the quirkiness of the console uh, with the, the old school instruments and, you know, the hourglass. Oh, I like that part. And, and stuff like that. You know, I, yeah, I like that. Part. I'm liking some of the old school quirkiness and the different items that are on the dash, so to speak. What, what is your quibble with the console? Uh, first of all, I'm not that crazy about the, just my personal opinion, I'm not that crazy about the ports look to the columns and stuff that are around the console. Okay. It, to me, it feels a little too much, if that makes sense. Okay. Especially up against the amount of detail that we have going on in the interior walls and stuff. It's just a lot going on at one time, you know. And so for me, it feels a little bit on the gaudy side uh -huh. because I... It, it doesn't have those clean lines and stuff that I'm used to seeing inside the console room. It's it's everything feels like it's just kind of 
overpowering to me, I guess you'd say. Mm -hmm. But my biggest quibble with that is the fact that the interior of the TARDIS matches the sonic screwdriver. Why would it match the sonic screwdriver when the TARDIS didn't know about the sonic screwdriver? How do you know? You have no idea what it's been doing all these years, phasing in and out on on Desolation. I feel like that that is just too coincidental. I'm sorry. It's just uh, <laughs> that I can only suspend my disbelief so much. <laughs> I don't care. I, <laughs> I, well, the thing is, is the, the Sonic and the inside of the TARDIS especially in the more recent years, have tended to have similar design, particularly towards the end of Smith and Capaldi in particular. When when he transferred over to his new Sonic, it definitely fit the, the tone and the, the design of the TARDIS a lot more. So I can understand why they did it, but it's wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey. <laughs> you don't need a detailed explanation of how and why the TARDIS matches. This is just me, okay? From a storytelling standpoint, I would, I think this would have been neat. Uh, but also from a visual standpoint, I think this would have been really cool to see because we've literally never, ever seen a quote-unquote desktop change actually in the show. It's always happened off-screen. So, in my mind, I'm thinking it would have been cool if the outside was redone. She comes in and it's still in disarray from before on the inside. Okay. And she comes in and she puts the sonic screwdriver into the console and you see the TARDIS adapt itself to the new Sonic on screen for the first time ever. I think that would have been really cool. That would have been cool, but it sort of ruins the awe and amazement factor for 13 walking in and going, oh, you've redecorated. I really like it. But it would not have ruined the awesome factor for the fans to be able to say oh my god that was so cool to watch you know <laughs> sue me <laughs> i plan to <laughs> i'm sorry I, if that's the only nitpick i have for the whole thing surely you can just let me have that one i can let you have it i think it's ridiculous but i can let you have it all right let's let's uh. get into this episode of course, you know, the the Doctor and the Companions start the episode in outer space and are saved when two ships come hurtling towards the nearby planet on a race. And they get scooped because they think that they're bonuses for this race that they're on. What First of all, what did you think of these two new characters? We have Angstrom, played by Susan Lynch, and Epso, played by Sean Dooley. What did you think of these two? I like the fact that they felt very natural and they felt very believable right out of the gate. They, they actually felt like they would exist. Mm -hmm. And, and sometimes it's cool to see. Sometimes it's not, you know, sometimes you'll see those characters that have the really quirky looking uniforms on or whatever, especially in the classics where they, you know, I think, uh, was it, um, the, uh, the draconian episodes, uh, where, where oh, those, uh, space yes. suits looked, so horrific, you know. Um, oh my gosh! <laughs> and frontier in space. And yes. Well, we just did that one. I don't know why I couldn't remember the name. Um, <laughs> oh, I'm sorry because it was three months ago. <laughs> Maybe four. Anyway, yeah, I think that it's 
I think that it's cool to have that balance. Sometimes you want to see those characters that look like they would be pulled straight out of real life. And sometimes you want to see those characters that have that quirkiness and that weird, you know, kind of look to their outfits and things like that. And I think that this is one of those times where they, they really fit with what was going on in the story and what was going on in the scene because they, they almost came off like, like they were bounty hunters or something. Yeah. And so I felt like that they were portrayed really, really well for the scenario that they were put in. Yeah. I, I like the way they look. Um, I like the characters, you know, they're quirky and weird. Um, but they've also, you know, got very obvious, very specific goals Mm -hmm. and intentions. They're both headed for the same goal, which is winning this race. Their motivations for winning this race are very different, but they're both very obvious and very key to who they are. Epzo is very self-centered. He's out here only for himself. And because he is, uh, he's gruff and aggravating and wants to get rid of everybody as soon as possible. Whereas Angstrom, she's tough and gritty because winning this race has such a weight behind it. And we'll le- we learn through the episode that she's doing this to save her family from persecution and, and torture um, on their home planet. And so she is incredibly driven, but also much more open and caring towards the doctor and her companions because of why she's out there in the first place is to help her family. And so she'll help this little fledgling family too. Well, I kind of felt like that from a writing standpoint, especially this was done pretty well. I mean, I think this is something that, that uh, Chris Chibnall does pretty well is he brings everybody in with an already built in backstory. Yeah. He brings everybody in with a history and through little pieces of exposition along the way, you kind of pick up on a whole lot more of the backstory than you actually realize that you're picking up on until you get to the end of it. And then you're like, you realize that you, you know a whole lot more about these characters than you thought you were going to, to pick up on throughout the story. And that's not something that we've necessarily gotten a lot of in more recent years is, you know, a lot of the, the characters, uh, the side characters, I should say, kind of feel like throwaway characters mm-hmm. because you don't get any history on them or anything like that. And so I feel like from a writing standpoint, was really, really well done because you got to, to really know these characters through little bits of exposition along the way and not just the sit down and talk about it kind of exposition. It was actually the kind of exposition that comes out through the action of the story and things as it moves along. So it doesn't feel like it's dragging. Right. As a matter of fact, I think the only part of the episode that for me that ever felt like that it slowed down really at all was at the point where they were trying to get the boat started. Gotcha. And so other than that, it felt really, really well paced. It did. I got to where I actually kind of started to care about these characters that we had just met. Yeah. Because of the way that it was done. Yeah. And I was I was really glad to see them actually you know, end up working <laughs> together by the end of it. Because you, you're always, you know, looking askance at, right. at Epso going, you know, is he going to just throw them all under the bus? Right. One final time, you know, or, or is the doctor going to get through? Well, his story about his mom was really messed up. You know what I mean? Oh my gosh, yeah. And that explained a really, really large amount of his issues right there in that one little tiny story. Yeah. And I kind of got the vibe from him through their banter back and forth that secretly he really kind of liked her as a person, but he would never let her know it because she was his rival. 
Uh, you're talking about Angstrom. Yes. Right. Okay. And I don't feel like that she actually picked up on the fact that he secretly liked her because he was covering it up so well. But I don't feel like the two people banter the way that they did without having some kind of mutual respect for one another. Most of the time, if they didn't care for one another at all, they would just ignore each other. Yeah. Well, you know, the, you do end up building rapport when you're doing this race that takes you, what, over 94 planets or whatever it was? <laughs> you know, uh, so this yeah. has been going on for a while. It's like the Great American Race or whatever, you know, it's in that kind of a sense. It's a little weird analogy, but it, it really is kind of like the Great American Race. I will say, though, when the tent appears in the desert, where Ilan, who is such a tool, <laughs> when when there's his... a lot of things we could call him if this wasn't a family show, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, he's such a tool. I don't, I don't like him. So I'm, I was really happy when the doctor just got to to dress him down a bit, and when <laughs> Angstrom and Ebzo stood up to him at the end by right. crossing the finish line together. That was one of my favorite parts. And insisting that their wishes be honored. <laughs> so That was one of my favorite parts, is when he walks up to him and says, don't let us be joint winners. I will hunt you down, and I will find you, and I will end you. <laughs> yes! <laughs> That was great. Oh. Um, but what I was saying is when, when the tent is just kind of there in the middle of the desert, the first thing that popped into my mind, Doctor Who related, was a Seventh Doctor episode, The Greatest Show in the Galaxy, <laughs> where there's this this barren desert world filmed largely outside uh, when you're you know outside of the tent and everything. And the Doctor and Ace are going to the psychic circus. Uh, which is there for nefarious purposes. But um, there's just this big giant tent sitting out in the middle of the desert. And so that that image um, resurrected some <laughs> some uh, feelings and an enjoyment of a past <laughs> Doctor's episode for me. So um, I liked that. Did it weird you out, though, that the, the entire tent was a hologram? Oh, at, at first it did. Yeah. I was like, whoa, what? And the weirdest thing about it was <laughs> at the end when the hologram disappeared and so did Angstrom and Epso. It, it, right. it took them with it. Like, wait, what? Right. There's a hologram slash teleporter. It's, yeah, I mean, this is like the second episode that we've seen back to back that had teleportation in it. Yes. Or, or as some people would say, a transmat. Yes, yes. Yeah. Although that that's old school <laughs> technology now. So, yeah, I was I was very... I was very pleased with the portrayal of these characters. Um, the the thing that I thought was interesting, too, is the fact that we found out that this entire planet was this way because mm -hmm. of the very race of people that they had just fought in the prior episode. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's the thing. Yeah. Um, it, Tim <laughs> Shaw. Tim is Shaw. Jim Shaw uh, is part of the, the warrior race called the Stenza. Yeah. Uh, and the Stenza are responsible for the obliteration of the previous inhabitants of this planet and the weapons uh, and uh, robots left behind. They are also the race responsible for the uh, invasion and subjugation of Angstrom's planet. 
I don't know if you caught that. Yeah, um, they 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 come off as like the the new big bad, and it's kind of strange that uh, the Doctor has not even heard of them before this because they are now coming in to a position of being as much of a threat as the Daleks or the Cybermen. Well, possibly. At least in the short term, they're, mm-hmm. they're they're still small scale, you know, compared to the Daleks or the Cybermen and things like that. Um, because Tim Shaw talks about, I, I think, what is it, the Nine Systems or something mm-hmm. like that. So they're still relatively small scale as far as uh, intergalactic domination. But the Doctor's path right now has her running up against them in a regular fashion at this point. So uh, it'll be interesting to see where this goes. I'm kind of thinking they're going to be the the through for the season. Oh, there, there, there's there's another through yeah. that that the the <laughs> you know telepathic you know creepy cloth. I don't know what you call them. I don't know the, the sentient mummy wrappings. Yeah, the sentient <laughs> mummy wrappings <laughs> that feed off of fear. Yeah, they they got they, they're also telepathic, so they can get in your mind and and yes know, see things. They bring up something right before the doctor uh, does away with them. Yes. Um, oh, that was so. Get out of my head. Oh my gosh, <laughs> that yes. was a straight up David Tennant line right there. I'm sorry, but it was. <laughs> yes. Uh, but by the way, the, the the sentient cloth is called the the remnants. <laughs> they are you know remnants of something else. But yeah, oh yeah, the way she just like. You can see her shutting down everything in her mind and just, you know, feeling violated, you know, and, and just lashing out at that. That was that was a great moment. Get out of my head. And it, and, uh, and it almost it almost sounded like Tennant saying that in, the, in the, the way that she portrayed that line in the show. I mean, I could when 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 I heard her say that, I could see his face. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I mean, it was that's how much of a Tennant moment it was. And we'll get into the doctor here in a minute. But yeah, that tells me that we might actually be swerving back into a little bit of some of the things that we've touched on in a few of the past seasons uh, as to what some of the doctor's past secrets might be and things like that. You know, probably touch on them just enough to get your mouth watering and then rip it away, you know? <laughs> right. But the remnant in their, you know, their deep dive into the doctor's mind, mm-hmm. bring up something that she's not even sure what it is. <laughs> they mention something called the timeless child. And this is the first time we've heard this term before. And so it looks like the stenza and the timeless child are going to be some of the things that we're going to see pop up along the way here now the timeless child the first thing that comes to my mind is maybe lady me is coming back but i doubt it that's not what comes to my mind when i think of the timeless child now the other one that came to my mind was was um why is the doctor's granddaughter's name slipping my brain susan susan thank you (laughs) dear god that's what popped into my head when i thought of the timeless child was susan and they call her the unearthly child that was the the name of the episode the first episode. And she was abandoned out of her own time. Right. So is that so, possible that we could see her make a comeback at some point in the show? It's it's possible. <laughs> uh, I, I wouldn't be opposed to it. Um, it was something that... We would never hear her say grandfather. 
<laughs> She'll say grandfather. And then say, I'm sorry, would you prefer grandmother? And the doctor will say, I think you're old enough. Doctor will do. <laughs> um, oh. <laughs> it brings up something else that was in the episode. <laughs> but... Uh, It was something that that Capaldi wanted was to bring back Susan. And in a way they did because they they put her picture on the doctor's desk with uh, River. Yeah, that's a possibility. Uh, I don't think Lady Me is coming back, but that was one of the first things that popped into my head. But uh, Susan, I think, is a more likely possibility, but it also is something that could be something brand new, which is also likely. There's another reason, though, that Susan popped into my head, and that is the fact Hmm. that literally the previous episode, they were talking to the doctor about, do you have any family? Ah. And she was saying, not anymore, but I carry them with me in my heart. That's you know? true. And so. And, and, and we've yeah. got the grandfather-grandson relationship right. that we're trying to build with Graham and Ryan. Right. Um, which, of course, you know, they're, they're becoming buddies in a sense. Right. But Ryan doesn't want to call him granddad, which is what. <laughs> Graham wants right so well yeah Graham looks at him as his family yes Ryan hasn't quite gotten there yet you know um and the the thing that I find uh interesting about that is the fact that because of Ryan's situation with his own blood there's a lack of trust for anyone that tries to come in and fill that role uh, because mm-hmm. you, you get the impression that the only person that he trusted in his own family was his grandmother. Yeah. That being said, anybody, especially a male role model because of his relationship with his dad, anybody that tries to come in and fill that position is automatically going to be looked at out of a position of untrustworthiness. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so he's going to really have to break that wall down if he's going to get through that. He is. They had a nice little little bonding moment as they've tried to figure out how to start up the boat. Um, <laughs> but, you know, there's still, you know, work to be done uh, with two of them. And then, of course, you know, there's there's the whole aspect of, with Ryan that, you know, Call of Duty does not equal uh, success against killer robots. <laughs> All right. That brings up another thing for me. Okay. And I get that. There's this whole mindset of the doctor doesn't like guns or whatever. But you already know as well as I do that we've seen the doctor use a gun on multiple occasions. Uh Uh-huh. In very strenuous and uh, not enjoyable situations. I'm not saying that he liked it. I'm saying that he did it. Right. Okay. But she gives Ryan a hard time for wanting to use a gun against these robots who are non-living things. But then doesn't really have that much of an issue with burning the sentient beings at the end of the episode alive. Right. <laughs> you understand where I'm coming from with that, right? It feels a little bit contradictory in my mind. Right. Well, you know, the doctor has always had a very strong anti-gun position. <laughs> you know, uh, the, the, the doctor never likes carrying guns. I, the third doctor, I think, said it. You know, it, it, it's 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 a trait that goes back, I think, to the first doctor. Right. He doesn't like it. I don't have any use for them or something like that. And, and it makes you and we've had hints that make you think that the doctor was a warrior at one point And, you know, well, did, 
At this didn't. point, we know the Doctor was a warrior. Yes, during the Time War. But even on occasion, you had the idea, the inkling in the classic series that he had seen combat. Mm-hmm. It wasn't nearly as obvious, but every so often you would think... Well, even the Master brings up the Cloister Wars. Yeah. Uh, so the Doctor, I think, just has, you know, out of wounding, a very strong reaction to the sight of a gun. No problem brandishing a sword. No, not a sword. <laughs> or, you know, using a self-lighting cigar to light uh, <laughs> the, the gas field on fire and burn the remnants to a crisp. Right. <laughs> so. Yeah, but you get my point there, right? Yes, I do. Um, I do. I, I, I just had a little bit of a hang up. And that's that is that's probably my only other hang up with the with the entire thing is that felt a little bit contradictory to me in that we're not going to use violence against these non sentient robots, but we're okay with these intelligent beings being burnt to a crisp. Well, so <laughs> I mean, you could also argue that the doctor knew exactly what would happen if you know Ryan went out and shot all the robots, which you know they they got right back up and started shooting right. back at him. So. <laughs> it, you could argue that she knew that was going to happen as well. So, um, well, then why I, didn't she just say it that way? <laughs> she's got to be clever and teach him a lesson. It was kind of funny to watch. It was hilarious. And it's also one of these great things where, you know, you got all these kids who play all these video games like, oh, I can do this. Right. It doesn't always work that way in the real world. <laughs> Just because you can play Battlefront doesn't mean it's... <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Oh, <laughs> um, oh man. <laughs> the Doctor, of course, is very concerned with getting everybody back home the whole episode. And right. so when the tent at the end uh, disappears and all the people involved in the race are gone and it's just the Doctor and the companions left, she has this moment where she feels like she's failed. And she... You know, basically has to get a pep talk from her crew there before the TARDIS shows up. What do you think about that? How so? Because the second Doctor sometimes would have those small moments of self-doubt. Okay. Uh, You know, you didn't see that as much with the first Doctor. Oh, no. But then when the second Doctor came along, it's it's, he had some of those moments uh, of self-doubt. And that kind of felt like it was going back toward that uh, in my mind, you know, Mm -hmm. and uh, it kind of, I don't know. I mean, I I kind of get the vibe with this doctor, sort of a similar vibe that we got with uh, Troughton's doctor with Jamie. There's just that kind of comfortableness between the doctor and her new friends, Mm -hmm. uh, which we've not always gotten with some of the companions in the past. Right. (coughs) Tegan. But, uh, you know, (laughs) you know, that was the first one that popped to my mind as well. A little bit of an antagonistic relationship. I mean, they got along splendidly, but, you know, it's like an old married couple. They just fought all the time. But the moment the moment she got a chance to leave uh, and be back on Earth, she took it. Didn't matter if she was in the right year or not. Yeah. So there you go. But uh, no, I. That's just how, that's the vibe that I got from that. It, it felt kind of Trotten-esque to me. Yeah, and, and uh, like I say, I mean, I've said before, Jody's Doctor definitely has the impishness and the the sort of whimsical factor 
that accompanies, you know, Troughton's second doctor and Sylvester McCoy's seventh doctor, in my opinion. And then there was, you know, plenty of, of evidence for both of those, you know, in this episode for me. But there's also a lot, we're really starting to get a sense of who 13 is in and of herself. And she's quirky and I like her. Yes. I do have to ask, though, did mm. you get the feel in some of the moments that she was trying to deal with the stubbornness of Epso, that Capaldi vibe coming back in her on a couple of occasions, the sarcasm and, you know, the 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 snarkiness of Capaldi coming back just a little bit. Did you practice that line in the mirror? <laughs> Because I did. I, the, I the really... caustic, you, mean, you mean that caustic <laughs> Scotsman isn't so far gone? <laughs> I'm just saying, I feel like that that the writing especially is kind of feeding off of different personas of the Doctor's past. And yeah. I feel like that they're doing it really well because she has her own portrayal of this character. But some of the lines that she says in these episodes, you can say, that sounds just like Peter Capaldi. That sounds just like Matt Smith. That sounds just like David Tennant, you know? Right. And you can literally, and there's been a couple of places in there where not only what she was saying, but the portrayal of how she portrayed the doctor in those moments reminded me of straight up number five. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and if you think about it with Capaldi being as eccentric as he was as the doctor, and then shifting into Jody, it's almost a little bit like four shifting into five, just a little right. bit, you know. Yeah. Uh, because she she's quirky and everything, which five was, but in a completely different way than four was. Yes. So it's there. There's a dynamic shift there, but some of the way that this that the character is written at this point, you just get that that bubbly little giggly feeling in your belly when you hear her say certain lines that you know that other incarnations of the doctor would have said yes <laughs> yeah oh yeah no it, it's great i i love and i love it when we get the glimpses of the past in the doctor right um that's one of my favorite things that they that they work into the show uh especially oh there's now. some seven moments in there too oh i yes <laughs> oh yes i i think i've said it before and i think uh, two and seven are are two of the primary influences going into into Jody's portrayal and and uh, the, some of the writing. I would really so. love it if at some point we got to hear her say something about unlimited rice pudding. <laughs> <laughs> well, she does get that that what the cream biscuit, whatever it is, uh, yeah. from the Tardis, you know. I thought it was a jammy dodger. Was it not a jammy dodger? No, no, it was uh, it was something else. It was. Custard cream biscuit. Gotcha. There is a moment. Of course, I've been hearing people talk about this episode online for the last two days. Mm -hmm. Groups and stuff that I'm a part of. There is a moment where we clearly catch the doctor in a lie. Oh? Yeah. Where did she get the sunglasses? It was either from <laughs> Marilyn Monroe or Pythagoras. That's a lie. <laughs> because the doctor did not have anything in her pockets in the previous episode. And she did not have access to the TARDIS to be able to take anything with her for time travel. So she got those glasses somewhere else, which means she probably stole them. <laughs> you mean you mean she might have stolen them? That she might have stuck them in her pocket when she left the clothing store? Probably. <laughs> <laughs> and she made that up to make herself sound important. <laughs> oh, man. 
Rule number one, the doctor lies. I still like the idea that it was either Pythagoras or Marilyn Monroe. It couldn't be Pythagoras. But here's the thing. What you end up realizing in that moment is that there's been times in the past when the doctor has braggadociously said something about uh, meeting somebody or getting something from somebody and they're a historical figure. And it's literally just to try to impress the companion. Oh, yeah. There might not be any truth to it at all. But the doctor (laughs) says it just so that there could be an impressed companion. And that's how this struck me is we know that's a lie because there's no way she could have gotten those glasses from any other source other than picking them up in the store. But there they are. And she there made there. something up on the spot to try to impress the companion. <laughs> <laughs> that's great, though. It adds a whole nother layer, though, to all those moments in all of the other series. Yes, it does. <laughs> One thing I will say uh, about this episode is that we didn't get that much with Yaz. Yasmin was was kind of there and along for the ride. We didn't get much more development from her, which means hopefully next episode we'll get a little bit more. But she was the character that kept bringing out the information from the other characters. That's true. She's very good at talking and getting people to talk. So uh, part of her investigative ability as, as a uh, policeman. So I did notice that. That's true. And did, was there anything else about this episode that you wanted to bring up and talk about before we uh, tease what's next week? I love the fact that they they still have this theme going through the episodes of the Doctor still isn't comfortable with her new body. Right. Because she, she still behaves in a masculine way and she <laughs> had to come back and correct herself. When the TARDIS is trying to rematerialize and she says, come on, it's me, it's me, come to daddy. I mean, mummy. <laughs> <laughs> Which, by the way, when she found the TARDIS in this episode, I'm not even going to lie, I cried. <laughs> so, yeah, go ahead and make fun of me now. I'm the big baby with the beard. <laughs> I was with my 15-year-old son and I cried. And he looked at me and put his arm around me to uh, kind of let me know that it was okay that I cried. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, that's nice. Yeah. Of <laughs> I don't know. It was. It was. It was that thing of, regardless. It, it's it's kind of like the thing with 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 Han Solo and Chewbacca, okay? Because you always know that even though the TARDIS is technically a ship, Mm -hmm. she's always going to be the doctor's best friend. Right. And it was sort of like the, the scene in Jabba's palace in return of the Jedi where Chewie finds Han and he won't stop hugging him, you know, (laughs) which has a completely different uh, connotation and everything. Now that we've seen the past and future incarnations of that character. Right. So still not happy about one thing. Okay. We still don't have any kind of real explanation as to why the the TARDIS ejected her out in the first place. It was blowing up. It was probably trying to make sure it didn't kill her. (laughs) But why did it do what it did? Because it wasn't blowing up prior to her regeneration. Well, we just got reintroduced to the TARDIS, (laughs) let them catch up, and then maybe we'll find out. (laughs) Oh, I do hope that that it's addressed at some point in the series. I'm sure it will. Oh, one last thing that I, I wanted to make sure we mentioned. Uh, we, we did get to see 
the doctor utilize Venusian Aikido. I forgot about that. Yes. So we, we got to see that with 12 and 13. Yes. So bringing, bringing back the third doctor's uh, martial arts skills. <laughs> Although she basically just stuck a pinky onto his nervous system or whatever. It was almost uh, like the Vulcan. The, uh... <laughs> the Vulcan neck pinch. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> but no, I, I, I wish that they had brought that back previously. I wish that we had seen that throughout the entirety of, you know, four, five, six, seven, eight, ten, the whole nine. You see, I left out nine and I had to go back and put him in. Uh <laughs> But you get what I'm saying. I, I wish that that was something that was a through. Yes. Not necessarily with every single doctor, but, you know, bring it back through, you know, the storytelling of the show at some point so that it's still part of the lore. Right. And I feel like that it, it was almost like one of those things where, where, we, where we got to uh, Peter Capaldi's doctor and Peter probably reminded <laughs> Stephen Moffat, oh, by the way, you do remember that the doctor has this ability, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> because Peter Capaldi was a huge third doctor fan. Oh, yeah. So, that was his first doctor was was uh, John Pertwee. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I really I kind of feel like that that's the reason why that came back. And uh, I feel like that, that Chris has just kind of decided to continue that on because it is such a interesting part of the doctor's past. Yeah. All right, cool. Well, um, trying to think of, of what we should use to rate this episode with. Um, robots. Robots? Okay. Um, Paul, how many robots would you rate the Ghost Monument? Hmm. I actually like this one better than last uh, episode, which kind of makes me wish that I had rated that one a seven and a half because uh, I want to give this one. <laughs> I, I, I I don't know. I, I'm going to give it an eight and a half. I'm going to give it an okay. eight and a half because, um, you know, we've saved nine and ten for really, really, really special stuff, you know. So I'm right. going to give it an eight and a half because that's about as high as I go without it being just something that blows me away, you know. Right. Because uh, I really, really enjoyed this overall. You know, I, yes, I have my quibbles, but, you know, uh, what, what fan of anything these days doesn't have some kind of quibble with something, you know, um, it's just all in how, and how you, how you treat other fans who have a disagreement with you. So, yeah, I, I really super enjoyed this episode. I, one of my favorite lines in this episode, and I almost forgot about this. One of my favorite lines was when Graham found out that they had the universal translator embedded in his <laughs> neck and he, and he says when are things or people going to stop putting things in my body without my permission yes <laughs> oh my gosh that, that's great that was great uh, <laughs> oh i love that i thought it was absolutely fantastic i paused yes. it and rewound it and watched it again because it made me laugh so hard <laughs> oh my gosh Graham is a great character he is a Graham is such a great character I, I'm really enjoying him um, I'm going to go ahead and, and rate this uh, eight robots eight sniper robots it was fun um, there, ha there were some exciting moments but it was just really good to see the team learning to work together in a way beyond just, you know, the one instance they had uh, last episode. So, you know, this is kind of 
the foundations for what to expect, I think, from this group moving forward. And, and I also really like some of the things that it looks like they're seeding into this season uh, with the uh, the Stenza and the Timeless Child thing. Uh, and I'm loving, absolutely loving the the new way that they're filming this, the cinematic aspect of this show. And that's going to be an overused word to describe this, the, the feel of this show um, this season. But it looks freaking amazing. You know, there is one other possibility that I can think of with the Timeless Child. What if we find out that that's the Doctor? Oh, dear. Ooh, I like that. You know, mm-hmm. because uh, we have seen scenes in previous series where they showed the Doctor as a child. But we really get any real information. The only thing that I gathered from uh, was listen I think it was what it was the doctor sleeping in the barn the only thing that I gathered from that is that I got the vibe from that that the doctor had been orphaned yeah and that the woman who was taking care of him was not his mother right um, I did get that and that kind of of course then poses the question as to what happened to his parents Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, that that could be something that they uh, choose to address at some point in future episodes. Uh, we don't know how far in the future that could be, though. Right. We shall see. Uh, it's a very interesting idea. Uh, now, next episode uh, is, I believe, titled Rosa. Uh, this is when we go back to... Uh, visit Rosa Parks mm-hmm. here in the United States. Yes. I'm curious to see how this is going to go. And it looks like we've got some either alien or time traveling, not good person trying to, to stop Rosa. There's been some speculation from some of the online community thinking that we might get to run into another Time Lord at some point in this upcoming episode. Ah. Think about it. What if we ran into the meddling monk? Oh, there we go. That would be interesting. It would. (laughs) It would. Um, But we will have to wait until (laughs) Sunday to find out. Yes. Of course, all this is speculation, guys. We're not spoiling anything for you. (laughs) Right. That's complete rampant speculation and and, uh, fan theorizing. So there's there's no possible way. There's nothing to back up that speculation at all. No. At this point, I'm just really ready to see what happens in the next episode. I can pretty much tell you what I think is going to happen at the beginning. Pretty sure the doctor is going to attempt to take the people home. Yes. And miss the year. And the (laughs) continent. (laughs) So happened on multiple occasions. Yes. (laughs) Um, New console, new controls, still figuring them out might still possibly have a little Swiss cheese memory about how to control the thing, you know? Right. <laughs> we'll see what happens, though. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, of course, folks, if you want to get involved with the conversation, if you want to weigh in on anything, please uh, hit us up on Facebook, facebook.com slash Talking Time Lords. That's our page there. There's also links to our group from the Facebook page. Uh, you can also tweet us at, at Talking Time Lord or email us at TalkingTimeLords at gmail.com. Our website is our main base of operations because there are links to all of our social media as well as links to every single previous episode there. So be sure to check out TalkingTimeLords.com. 
gmail.com. By the way, guys, we do actually still have voicemail on our website. So if you guys wanted to leave us a voice message, giving us your thoughts on an episode or something like that, provided that it's pretty to the point, concise, and uh, doesn't have anything offensive in it, we have to keep that in mind. Yes. You might actually get to hear your voice on one of the episodes if you choose to leave us a voicemail. Yes. So just keep that in mind. So please check that out, TalkingTimeLords.com. All right. Well, let's uh, grab a cream custard biscuit um, <laughs> and uh, figure out how to work this TARDIS as we close down episode 87 of Talking Time Lords. <laughs> Desolation. Uh, thank you everybody so much for listening and... For Paul, I'm Jason, and remember, until next time, may you hope far-flung hopes and dream impossible dreams. Thanks, everybody. I want some jelly babies. <laughs> some jelly babies mm, jelly babies <laughs> fish fingers and custard i don't know about that no i don't think so i, <laughs> I don't i don't maybe don't some crunch. jammy dodgers mm, jammy dodgers that would be good yes. but not fish fingers and custard but a good fried egg sandwich sounds really good right now though mm, it does <laughs> maybe with a little salt pepper and maybe a little cheese now you're making me hungry stop it <laughs> I want to go make me one. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs>